Okay, this is an experiment in terror. Today we're doing a recording uh, of the Sunday School class, and before we begin, I want to give a little background. Last week I had a conversation after church, and it was interesting. It was a, a guy was telling me about how he's in conversations with different people, and he sometimes wonders how to a- answer these questions, you know, serious questions about Scripture, about the faith, and... Uh, about differences between, because sometimes people, you know, different denominations, they can, we all believe pretty solidly what we believe, we think, you know, we think we do, and we, we think we know why we believe it. Uh, that's why I always challenge you when I teach, is that make sure you know what you believe and why you believe it. Um, because, as Peter says, you must be willing to give an account, a testimony, for the hope that is within you, uh, the hope of salvation, so that's the gospel. Everybody should be able to tell the gospel. Every Christian needs to be able to know how to proclaim the gospel, period. There should be no debate on that. Beyond that, beyond what is the simple gospel, there are other things. And as we mentioned the last time I talked, which I think was two weeks ago, some things are not as primary as other, right? We talked about primary, secondary, and tertiary doctrines. Some doctrines are more important than others. Salvation being the number one, right? So uh, soteriology, get that one right. Everything else falls apart without it. Um, but there are controversial things within Christianity. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, that, that is true. I said, sometimes you're stumped. You don't know what Bible verse exactly to go to and whether you need to read the whole chapter or if you can just get away with two or three verses to explain it. Or is that going to lead you to have to go to another book in the Bible somewhere? Often it does. I heard a guy say one time that really the story of salvation is spread out and diffused throughout the Bible. It's not in any one spot. It's sort of like to, it's like in, in code warfare when you're trying to keep the enemy at bay and they don't, may not know your secrets, right? You come up with codes that they may try to break, but you've got to diffuse things so that only so much knowledge can be gained at any one time. You change your codes from, sometimes from day to day, but certainly in a short period of time you would change the code. Um, I think seeing that aviation show yesterday, with a lot of the things about World War, it was a, there was a strong emphasis on World War II aviation. There were at least four planes that were from World War II era. That's a fascinating time for me. You know, I'm a student of history, and it's one of my favorite parts of history is the World War II era and the years leading up to it, the time in between World War I and World War II. And one of the things they had was the Germans had their codes, and they were incredibly hard to break. If you've, if you've ever seen that movie, Imitation Game, good movie. Uh, it shows how they tried to break the code and it took them months. And then once they did, they understood, okay, Ger- Germany changes their codes daily, but there is a pattern to their code. And they figured out the pattern eventually. Um, and they did all that without modern computing. But some of the breakthroughs they, they used to come up with it led to coding that is now the basis of modern computing. So it's, that's interesting too. But the point of this is when... When, when the friend asked me how to deal with a particular person he's talking to on a certain subject, it led me to think, how many more of these questions are out there that people have that they don't, they know what they believe, but they're not quite sure they, can, could, they could convince someone else. They're not even sure sometimes that that other person may have some good arguments and may bring in a whole lot of scripture. They'll tend to do that. There'll be a whole lot of scripture to confuse you. It can cause you to doubt, well, maybe I'm wrong. Well, there's always, you should always question, maybe I am wrong. Because I've been wrong about some things that I firmly believed about the Bible and then have changed my mind over years. 
because I realized I was just following blindly some preacher or some teacher instead of searching the scriptures for myself. Being a proper Berean, right? You know, the apostles said the Bereans were better than these other groups because although they all heard the gospel and, and believed, the Bereans searched the scriptures every day to make sure what the apostles were telling them did line up with the Old Testament truth, that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the fulfillment. So we need to know, and as, like I said earlier, as Peter said, give an account for why we believe what we believe. Um, there's certain things that are just sort of self-evident from the Scripture. I always talk about the plain meaning. It just says what it means and means what it says, so to speak. And you can take the plain reading often, and that's for most Scripture, that's generally what it means, period. Not a lot to debate on it. But there are those... Those areas, those subjects, where people have to dig a little deeper. What was the meaning? What was the context of it? What were they? What were they, What was the author trying to express to the people at the time? Uh, today, we're going to cover some of these FAQs. You know how you go on a website and you have FAQ about like a you're going to buy something and they're frequently asked questions. That's what that stands for. You know about a particular topic. Well, these are FAQs about the faith that are frequently thrown out. Sometimes by small subsets of um, of the Christian walk where you have groups that believe a particular area of Scripture a certain way, such as baptism, re baptismal regeneration, which is you must be baptized to actually be born again, that it's part of salvation. I'm not going to cover that today. I'm going to have one that leads up to that that will probably cover baptismal regeneration next week because I'm also here next week. Surprise. You're stuck with me. Chalen is on vacation and out of town, so he's out of pocket. You'll have to deal with me. So... Here's what I said. Topics of controversy in, in Christianity arise sometimes by means of intentional or unintentional abuse. That's a bad word to use, right? Abuse of the Scripture. But it's misreading the Scripture, right? Sometimes we misread the Scripture because we brought, as I said two weeks ago, we bring our preconceptions into it. We think we know what it means before we ever read it instead of reading it and letting the Scripture flow. Um, but misreadings of Scripture and other, other means of controversy can arise from leaning too hard on man-made historical traditions or tenets of a denomination, type, particular type, style of worship. Christianity has, has a lot of those different, different views. Um, it can literally be caused because someone intentionally disrupts the flow of Scripture because they're starting a new cult. Joseph Smith in the 1800s, right? Mormonism arose out of one man's peculiar interpretation of Scripture that nobody else viewed that way up to that point. And he started a whole new religion. And it's a whole new religion. We've talked about this before. But Mormonism is its own religion. It's not Christianity. They may call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, but the Jesus Christ they believe in and worship is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is a, it is a demigod who um, is the son of the scion, the son of a demigod, Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever, Elohim, the God of the Old Testament, is his father, and he literally has tons of other children because he lives on a planet, and I forget the name of it, and he has a wife, and they continuously have sex and have children. That's not the God of the Bible. God doesn't have sex, right? So we can, we can, we can strike that. So... Um, if, if we are going to have these traditions, we need to weigh them with the evidence against what Scripture actually says. Not what we think it says, not what we think it means, but what does it say? Then break it into what do we think it means, okay? 
And I can give you some examples of, of concepts that have flown throughout. When I say flown, I don't mean they fly. I mean they have poured out of historical Christianity um, through the centuries. Purgatory? Where is purgatory found in the Bible? Not one mention of a place called purgatory or anything like it, what the concept of purgatory is, but it's accepted by millions of people worldwide. Um, prayers for the dead, intercessory prayers for the dead to help people attain heaven. They might need a little help. Maybe they're in purgatory. Maybe they're even in hell and you can save them from it. More than one group believes that. Um, physical presence of Christ in the Eucharist when we take communion. We took communion last Sunday. Was Christ literally in that piece of bread, literally in that cup? That's another. That's a debate that's gone on for centuries. You have different views on it. The veneration of saints, setting aside holy days. We could get into Mariology and all that and different views of Christology, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but you know, the idea of venerating Mary as a co-redemptrix with Christ. He's the Redeemer and she's the Redemptrix. You can't get to Jesus unless you get to the Mother. And that's not scriptural. But millions of people worldwide believe it. Wholeheartedly. Falsely, I would say, but they believe it. While some things are misread or, or, or heard out of benign ignorance, in other words, it's not on purpose, there's no animosity towards the Scripture, it's just something we, we sort of passively sit in the pew and hear. We think, oh, the preacher's smarter than me. He reads the Bible more. He understands it. He must be right. That's, that's benign, passive ignorance. You know, like we were talking about cancer during the time of prayer requests. So cancer is a malignant tumor. There are benign tumors. I've had benign tumors. I've had one that had precancerous cells, had to be taken out pretty deep. Left a big scar on my back. That's, that's one of those things, right? Some tumors... They're there, they're unsightly, they're not good for us, they need to go. They may turn cancerous over time, so your false belief may turn into heresy over time if it's not dealt with. Okay? We all must give an account according to the Scriptures. Everything, every word we've ever said, every idle word, that means every just word that comes out of our mouth as a Christian. We're all going to give an account to Christ, right? On the day of, of the Bema Seat, the Judgment Seat of Christ. We're all going to give an account for what we've done in this, in this life. Whether, good, whether for the good or for evil, whether in the flesh or the spirit. And those things that don't count for much, he said, will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Other things will be refined like gold. Crowns will be given to us for that. Now, some people would ask, was that a literal crown? Was that symbolic of something? I don't know. It just says a crown. Okay? We, we must be careful not to fall into willful ignorance. That is malignancy, right? That's, that's cancerous. That's bad based on our own prejudices, our own personal preferences, or our animosity towards Scripture. You ever been stiff-necked? You ever, you ever heard the preacher say something, and maybe you've never heard it before, but you did hear it, and you did read that Scripture, and you go, well, it does say that. I never believed that, and I don't want to believe it. So you ignore it. Now, you're having it. now you have, actually have a bias against the truth. You'll be held account for that. If you know that it's anyone who knows to do good and does it not, it's evil. It's a sin. Anyone who knows not to do something and does it anyway, it's a sin. So, and I'm speaking to Christians, and I'm speaking about Christianity. Uh, the lost, they're lost in their sins. They're always committing sins daily. But we, we fight it too. So let's go with FAQ number one. Um, 
this is, can I, 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 question, I wrote this question in a sort of a weird way. Can I be saved if I've ever done dot, 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 that, exclamation point, question mark? Why? Well, the short answer is yes. But why, why did I bring that up? Well, recently I've, I've, I've heard that there are some people that believe that there are some sins that are so bad, Jesus cannot save you from them. And there's no point in ever asking Jesus to be your Savior. There's no point in ever submitting to the Lordship of Christ. There's no sense in repenting in your sin because you can actually go too far and cannot be saved. Now, the Bible does tell us there's a sin unto death. There is a point in time when a man can reject the calling of the Holy Spirit, right? The conviction of sin. This can happen to a Christian, by the way. Remember when Paul writes that, he's writing to the church. There is a sin unto death. I'm not saying you should pray for their death. That's what he's saying. I'm not saying you should ask God, take them out, Lord, in precatory prayers, where you, where you say, I can do nothing else for this bum. Just get rid of him, Lord. He's a hassle to the church. Is there ever a time when the church should throw people out? Yeah. Is there ever a time when the church should say, we're done with you? Yeah. I don't think that's wrong, though, for you to be praying that if the Lord chooses, change their heart. Let them be saved. Because we don't want people to die and go to hell, right? We don't want our worst enemy to go to hell. We don't want the most vile Nazi to go to hell. We don't want the most vile predator on children to go to hell. It's hell's forever. And it doesn't change what they did. Sin is sin. It's all bad. Some sins are worse than others. Yes, I did say that. Some sins are worse than others. But should we still pray for that person to be saved? Yeah. Now, I don't know this to be certain or not. I don't know whether I believe this or not. In the last few years, there's been a story going around that Jeffrey Dahmer, the cannibal from Ohio, was saved shortly before, about a year before his death. Don't know if that's true or not. Didn't matter to the other inmate that beamed him in the head with a mop ringer, right? It didn't matter to the state that he deserved to be in prison for the rest of his life. He deserved the death penalty. Period. Man that sheds man's blood in guilt as murder, that's the Noahic covenant, of his his blood should be required of him. God said that, I didn't. That's why I believe in the death penalty. I don't think that's changed. Because that's the beginning and the foundations of government is under the, under the Noahic covenant we start to see. Just like we get the rainbow that doesn't symbolize sexual perversity and different lifestyles, gender confusion and homosexuality. The rainbow symbolizes God's promise, his covenant with Noah and his family and all of mankind to never destroy the earth by flood again. Take the rainbow back, people. Don't let them have it. Okay? Don't let them have it. Okay, so can you sin? Is there a sin so great that God could not save you? And the answer, short answer is no. But how do we know this? Well, we have to look at Scripture to know that. Right? No one's immune from original sin. Let's go to Romans 5. Really, it's all of verses 1 through 21. But especially verse 12. I'm using my phone today to pull up the Bible, and because I needed so, I have so many different references for us to get to that I'm not fast enough. I'm not like Pastor Tom. I can't <laughs> run through it quite as fast as him. So I need this to find ch chapter and verse quicker. Um, 
this would be in the New American Standard 95, results of justification. Verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character brings hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You could even insert instead of us. For us, He died in our place instead of us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reckoned enemies of God. Yeah, the lost is an enemy to God. We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, the enemy of, of, the, the, enemy of, the, of the Great One, the Creator God, through the blood of Jesus, is reconciled. So peace, we get peace with God. Through the blood of Jesus, right? So we've got reconciliation. You and your wife are fighting because you've said something stupid again. I'm, I'm talking about me. and Because <laughs> I've said something stupid again. Sandy and I are at odds. And I realize how much I've hurt her, and I say I'm sorry. But that's not enough. You have to show that love, right? God did show his love. And how did he do it? Because while, while we were sinners, he died for us. Christ died for us. He reconciled us to Him. We didn't do anything for it. We don't deserve it, but He loves us. Now here's verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, our forefather, and death through sin. Man was decreed to have to die because of sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. So there I proved my point. We are all born sinners. It's natural for us to sin, right? So we're all made enemies of God by our sin because we're estranged from Him. We're at odds with Him. In order to have gained peace with God, we must receive the blood of Christ. It must be applied to us, to our lives, to our heart. We have to be reconciled to God through Jesus. So does it put conditions on there? Did it say that no one could come except those that are doing good works? Righteous people? See, jokingly this week on Thursday... An elderly lady was about to get a flu shot. And, I know, and she said she wanted it in her right arm because she's left-handed and she didn't want that arm to get sore. I said, you're a lefty? She goes, yeah, you must be too. You've got a pen in your left hand. I said, yeah, I am. And I said, it's really weird because most of my life I didn't know a left-handed person hardly. Except for a couple of my family. My family's weird. We've got a lot of left-handed people. My wife will attest that we're weird. And that we're <laughs> left-handed. So... We have, I've been seeing a ton of people this past week, Monday through Thursday. Almost every day I've met new people that are left-handed. We've had new clients and I've, you're left-handed? Oh my goodness. So it's everywhere. Are you left-handed? I love it. <laughs> so, South Paul's rule. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's right. The only one there. 
That's the right state of mind. So we, I, I, I said that, and she goes, you know that we're all born left-handed. I said, no, ma'am. She said, yes. It was a joke. She said, we're all born left-handed. And then when you commit your first sin, you become right-handed. <laughs> so, obviously, my, my friend Nick, the pharmacist, looks at her and looks at him, she looks at me and he goes, that might hold up for some people, your little joke, but it don't hold up for him because I know him. He's talking about me. He said, uh, he's definitely a sinner. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I am. So I turned around and I, I left so he could give the shot. But you get my point, that, that, that joke. But actually, we're all sinners. We all commit sin eventually. There's no way around it. Okay? But the sin can be dealt with because God has made a way in Christ. It never puts conditions on that. It does not say you have to do this, this, or that. It says you must believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He who confesses, believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and that God has raised him from the dead, he will be saved. So there's no precondition about how good you were as a sinner. Because guess what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there's none good. No, not one. We're all unrighteous, right? It, we need that blood of Christ to be saved. We need that saving faith. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Okay, but... Um, so... If since we're all born in the flesh with a sin nature, we're all natural enemies of God, which we read that in chapter 5, verse 10 of Romans. Uh, if you go to 9, chapter 9, 21 through 23, then you'll see again. Let's go back a couple. Let's go to 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for uncommon use, for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Not everyone's coming to repentance, folks. And there are a lot of bad people out there doing a lot of bad things. But it's okay. God knows, and He knows their hearts. He knows the ones that are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this, didn't I do that? Because honestly, evil people can do good things. Doesn't the world create charities almost every day and, and raise money for good causes? Aren't they doing good? Can you give money to those people in peace knowing that that money's going to help somebody? Sometimes. And sometimes they're crooked. But you know what I'm saying. People do good doesn't mean they are good. Jesus said, why do you call me good when they said good master, good teacher? Why do you call me good? Only one is good, God. But he was God. And they recognize the goodness of Christ, correct? And we recognize the goodness of Christ. But we have to recognize that we have no good in us of our own. Only God. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. God's saving people of every nation, of every tongue, of every tribe. And it's, it's God's call, not ours. We don't determine who does and who does not go to heaven. So we can't exclude people 
from Christianity because we know they were a bad person. In that case, there's no point to have prison ministry. There's no point to go to jails and visit prisoners or prisons and visit prisoners. There's no point to pray for those people. They're lost in their sins. They're going to go to hell. No, you were once lost in your sins and were destined for hell, right? So there's nothing we can do to save ourselves and keep ourselves saved, and there's nothing we can do to prevent God from being able to save us. So the whole point of that was that in a conversation I had last week was that some people believe, as I said, some people who are also claiming Christ as Savior, who say they're Christians, do believe that you can do something that prevents God from saving you. The answer to that is there's no evidence of it in the Scripture. Okay? If... If we look at Ephesians 2, then we see that we all, since we're all enemies of God, as we saw in Romans, we deserve death and hell. So go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look there in the beginning. Verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So dead in sins. Remember that song I quoted earlier before the class officially started was about that. Dead in my transgressions, right? Sinking like a stone. Which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. We all lived this way. Formerly. Those that are saved actually did live this way. We were children of disobedience. Indulging, uh, lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Doesn't mean you were a sexual pervert or a predator. Doesn't mean that. When it says lust, just remember that means the desires of the heart. It's not necessarily talking about sexual sin, but it can be. But often it differentiates and tells you. But the lust of the flesh is a lot of different things. Greed, gluttony, any number of things. Flesh and the mind were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So the wrath of God was on us. But God... Okay, this goes to that song. I told you it was a quote, right? Here's the quote. But God, rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, we are His work of art, in other words, His poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, we are prepared, we are prepared this way to do good works to show the glory of God. So when we do good, it should just be out of a desire to see others prosper as well, to see folks saved, to see Christ's name glorified and lifted up, right? We don't do good to obtain our salvation. Well, the good we are doing is because we are saved. Christ lives in us and he's made us a new creation. He's changed us. The old things have passed away, the new has come. There's a, there's a difference there. So we're not working our way to heaven. But you can't work your way to get good enough to be saved. And to me, the whole point of that question that was posed to me last week was that the person believes you have to get to a certain state before God will even look at you and save you, have favor upon you. 
You could never get to that state. I could never get to that state. Peter was an angry, violent man. Apparently he cursed by nature. Apparently he was a roughneck, a fisherman there in the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't a guy that was just going to come to Jesus naturally. Jesus went and called him. Come with me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And he was like, well, who is this weirdo? But he followed. He wanted to know more, right? Jesus saved Peter, made him a great preacher, used him on the day of Pentecost, correct? Was that Peter? No, that was Jesus in Peter. That's the difference. Um, we see that it, we see that we could not obtain it for ourselves. He had to provide it, he being Jesus, as a free gift. That's Ephesians 2.8. So we can't save ourselves, nor can we keep our salvation. It is all of Christ and him alone. And if, if he could save Lot, I use this one as an example. You see it in 2 Peter 2, 6 through 9, right? Where it says he vexed his righteous soul daily there in Sodom, living there, living in the world and being a part of it. It says he was a righteous man. Look what happens after he leaves Sodom. He drunk, gets drunk and impregnates his two daughters, incest. Okay? How is that a righteous man? He didn't know his heart. We don't know where his faith was. We don't know what he had done for God that's not recorded in the Old Testament. Peter records it in the New to let us know that, yeah, okay. Okay, he only got part of the story with Lot. Lot was a rebel. He, he was selfish. When given a chance to, to split the land, he took the good, well-watered plains down in, the, down in the valley near Sodom and Gomorrah, pitched his tent towards Sodom, and had let his flocks be well watered. And Abraham took the highlands, which were rougher and more desolate. Mistreated his uncle who had raised him. His father's brother. Okay. But when he was kidnapped, the king of Sodom was kidnapped, who went and got him? Abraham. Gathered an army out of his men and they acted like a, apparently a band of mercenaries and they went and ravaged those people and got the king of Sodom back got Lot back and restored him to his place. There's no mention. Now, of course, it's by silence. We don't know. There's no mention that there was a great reconciliation between Abraham and Lot. Abraham loved him anyway. Because Abraham was following God. But at some point, Lot followed God. That's all we know. Apparently, Lot had, had a conversion of the heart. That he was living horribly in the flesh. Um, if he can save Lot... He can save anyone. If he can, if he can save the hanging man on the cross who admitted, I deserve to die, and told the other man, stop ranting and railing and mocking this man. We deserve to be here. He's done nothing wrong. I can see that. He's done nothing wrong. Yes, Jesus, right? Sir, remember me? When you come into your kingdom, he understood that he was the Messiah. He goes, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. You can find that in Luke 23, 39 through 43. If he can save these men, I just used two examples, one from the old and one from the new. If he can, well, I kind of used two because I also mentioned Peter himself, who wrote about Lot. Then he can save you and me without any worry. And I've got a note here that we could look at Matthew 19 for more. Let's look at Matthew 19. 16 through 26, and then we'll close with this today. I, I, I tried to stay on target, but I will say I'm a bit of a bloviator, and I, I'm a blo I, I speak a lot of words, and so 
while I had three things for us to cover today, we're only, clo- we're only covering the first one. I hate to say that, but it's true. And I will say I was worried I didn't have enough material. I, I should know. The riches of God's Word, you can never run out of material. 19 verse 16. Speaking of the rich young ruler. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you, but if you wish to enter him into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and they said, Then who can be saved? This man's a good man. He follows the law, right? He got the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But notice the parts Jesus didn't quote to him. Have you ever thought about how the Ten Commandments are set up? Starts in the proper order. It's with God. Right? There's but one God and honor, honor your God, right? And then you work down and then you get to the relationship between yourself. The outward showing of that is, well, you don't do this. You don't kill, steal, destroy. Right? I don't do all those things. See, a lot of people that are evil still do good. But their heart is not turned towards God. Their heart is still on their own train of thought. He's looking at himself. What can I do to be saved? And he's like, can't do nothing. When Nicodemus asks Jesus that in chapter 3 of John, what does he say? Well, you must be born again. What? What is this nonsense? Am I going to enter the womb a second time? No, it means born from above, born of heaven. You have to have a new birth, new birth in Christ. So when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who could be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. So the short answer I would give to that person who, who believes that they're, they've done too much to ever be saved, they've gone too far to ever be saved, you can't stop the love of God. If He has His eyes on you and He's calling you to repentance, get saved it's because it's just... The, the, look, without being over-the-top Calvinist, y'all know my bent towards Calvinism, God calls you you answer, it's resolved. Because Jesus knows you and he calls you by name. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They won't follow any other. Right? So, we'll close with that one. So that question is, can you, can you do too much to be saved? The answer, no. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll do the part about go and sin no more. Can you live above sin? Can you truly have sinless perfectionism? And if time permits, we'll do why do you have to be bat- why do people baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? This one has hit me three or four times. As I've been I have been accosted on this one by other people from other denominations many times. That it's the Jesus name only 
doctrine. And we'll talk about that, hopefully, next week.